Hello and welcome back to this new episode of uh, a podcast where we talk about whatever we want because it's our podcast, not yours. Today, as always, I'm joined by the beautiful, amazing, talented, fantastic human being Luca Ortolani. A round of applause. Hello. I think we should add the effect of applauses in our podcast. Yes. I don't know how to do it yet. We do it with our hands. Okay, yes, with our hands. We do it ourselves. Seems like someone is fucking. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, ooh. so it's been a while. It has been, it's been a while. Special. It's been a while. <laughs> like two, three weeks that we didn't do an episode. Yeah, listen, baby, we've been busy, okay? We busy yeah. woman doing busy stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially you. Like, for me personally, I had, like, stuff with university and other stuff going on in my life. Nothing really crazy. But you, bitch, you've been doing some interesting stuff about politics. Yes, I've been in have... Rome. Maybe I talked already about this. I've been in Rome. Yes. A new issue of our university magazine is coming out. Ooh. I've been having a lot of lessons, so mm. yeah, I've been busy. Busina, busina. Busina, yes, in the house. <laughs> so, I think everyone knows by now that there is something just a little bit special going on in the world. Oh um, yeah, you know, we haven't ooh. talked about the thing. Yeah, the thing that everyone is fucking scaring and shitting everyone in the pants, so it's it's kind of um, heartbreaking. The mm. fucking war is going the on. War. Is, fuck, I, I totally forgot that. And let me tell you, it's been like some days that I'm dreaming about this fucking war, <laughs> and I don't know why I'm dreaming about my relatives being dead. I have no fucking you know, idea. You're not, the fir- you're not the first person who tells me that. Like, like the second person that told me that they have been having dreams about war and not good ones. Yes. And then again, which kind of good dreams do you, can you have with war? Yeah. Maybe. Mm. maybe. <laughs> yeah, surviving for sure. Still traumatic though. Still, but yeah. Still traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Still traumatizing for I'm sure. Traumatizing. Yeah. So today's episode, we choose a topic, which is, can we find happiness in politics? Yes, that's a big issue. That's, that's a big, big issue. issue. Yeah, I think, okay, my starting point with this topic, with this argument, mm-hmm. is that obviously people are losing faith in politics. And yeah. institution and the state and democracy overall. Mm-hmm. And I think the, well, I'm not the only one thinking this, obviously, but I think the main fault about this is that people are not losing faith, but are losing the pleasure of participating in politics. You know what I mean? Yes, I totally see that. I mean, it's kind of exhausting, especially with nowadays world, with everything that seems going like really fast and you don't have like a moment to breathe or to focus on your life and anything. So 
I can see that, that people start losing interest in politics, especially young people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's mainly because we don't see change as something feasible or possible mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also think about the past years and the past centuries where politics was, you know, being a part of a movement and politics was something so powerful back then. It, it, had, it means like changing society and changing uh, your life. And you felt that moment it had the power. Meanwhile, to, in this century, in our days, it feels like we have everything already there. Of course, I'm talking about uh, countries like Western countries. I don't want uh -huh. to start with, with the older countries that are struggling still with basic human rights. But talking about our society and the Western society, it absolutely seems that we almost don't need to be part of something bigger. Especially, I see that in 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 uh, the new generations because they have already everything there ready for them, you know. Yeah, this is a. Uh, I think this is part of the issue. Like we don't mm. see anything. Like there's no future, right? Everything is yeah. already here. But mm -hmm. what we don't understand is that what we have is not assured. Like we could lose it. And exactly. I think we are not grasping this idea. For example, uh, a lot of Eastern European countries, mm -hmm. Hungary, Russia, Belarus, Poland, there have been a massive attack on democracy in the past mm -hmm. 10 years. Also Turkey, for example. Like they mm -hmm. are autocracy well russia already is um and i think and it's not the only case you see for mm -hmm. example the populist movements in uh, yeah. in the western europe mm -hmm. for example uh, i don't um what's her name uh, vox in spain or mm -hmm. le pen in france for example yeah. the right wings in italy they they are constantly putting stress on the democratic system. They are pushing the boundaries of what can be done. And their mm -hmm. democracy is under attack because why? Why is that? Because people don't see it as something that works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They think it's slow, it doesn't work, it's bureaucratic, it takes a lot of time for change. And I think all these things are true. All these things are true. These systems mm -hmm. are being, are old and efficient in some way. Mm -hmm. But yeah. attacking it, it's not the way to change it. Undermining democratic process is not part of the deal for me. Okay, and especially like I'm thinking about the um, in, in the States, like how the, um, the white supremacy movement in the past years has been... Uh, attracting so many people. I think it's because oh, yeah. of what you're explaining right now, because the democracy, uh, it seems for them like something stupid and all, you know, the first amendment, amendment and the freedom of speech and everything. So they feel under yeah. attack for the people who are attra attracted to that kind of uh, mentality. So this growth over the years, I can totally see what it's happening. And by your explanation, it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why so many, like, 
extremist movements are gaining so much weight because they yeah. give simple solutions to complex problems. And yeah. the system seems so big and so unattackable mm -hmm. that simple solutions seem feasible. But that is exactly. not the case. <laughs> also, like, I I'm think thinking... Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just... <laughs> oops. I just wanted to say, like, I'm thinking about Italy and how the, the new fascist movement is growing and, you know, all the movements like Casa Pound and uh, mm -hmm. all the, those things. Like, you know, me and you grew up in Verona, so we have a lot of um, experience somehow. Even in my own cl ex-classroom, I used to have people from uh, Casa Pound and Forza Nuova, which are uh, parties from the far uh, right wing in uh, Italy. Yeah. And their main argument was they don't want to defend defend uh, Italy from from the um, from enemies, and of course, by enemies are <laughs> immigrants and whoever is different from the typical yeah. Italian. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I can see that they give them like this kind of ideas that these parties are perpetuating. They can give them this idea of uh, power and you know being part of something which is lacking nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the, the, I think the root of the problem is that we are losing contact with what politics should be. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. I'm studying Anna Arendt now, and she talks extensively about this kind of stuff. And I've been reading mm -hmm. an article about protest and the means of other kind of democracy, let's say. And mm -hmm. I think what is lacking is um, not really public debate, which is also lacking, but I think what is lacking is contact with other people. Let me give you an example. Harent says that to comprehend is to forgive. So if mm -hmm. you comprehend someone else, you automatically understand their, like, what they come from, where they come from, and you mm -hmm. automatically feel you can forgive them. And I think yeah. this is missing from a lot of extremists. They are not down to comprehend anyone else. And the public debate, the contact between people, is what allows comprehension to take place. And thus, forgiveness. Do you understand? Yes, I totally get it. But I have a question. Do you think that it, this idea can be applied when it comes to the left um, in general? Because I have, like, I don't want to be, like, the typical uh, anti-leftist, um, anti you know, like, snowflakes and stuff like this. Mm. But, like, examples that I see from the extreme leftists, for example, in the States, which are particular, of course, it feels like they are quickly to judge a person that have a different opinion by them, uh, from them, sorry. And they feel under attack. And of course, they take it so personally. And I mean, of course, they have the right to do so. But to a certain extent, because to a certain point, it feels like they cannot allow the other person to have an opinion and like 
exchange and have a debate, like you said, that is lacking nowadays. So do you think that can be applied somehow to the left? Yes, absolutely. Because um, this lack of debate and thus mm -hmm. the lack of comprehension, positions are getting more and more polarized and more and more distant from each other. And the farther the distance between like positions, harder it is to comprehend and to like have a real conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can see the problem with the left, like not allowing someone else into the conversation to like, mm -hmm. talk about stuff, even conservatives. Yeah. Because, well, a lot of conservatives now are being like, they're all turning right wing, let's say, extreme right wing. But there mm -hmm. are really, really valuable ideas in the conservative movements, I think. And what is, this is lacking in the left. Like they are taking everything from the center to the right as something wrong. And this yeah. is exactly the same thing the right is doing. It is not anyone any good. Mm -hmm. This is all, there is also another problem with this, I think. The, and this is to blame on the right because the baseline about discussions and debates should be drawn at not really freedom or mm -hmm. right, but at least a common ground right mm -hmm. for example if a conservative is uh, I don't know against euthanasia for example right mm -hmm. he doesn't want mm, these things to be available or he doesn't agree with it or whatever you can have a conversation with these people, with this person, of course. But to say that there's a difference here from the conservatives that says, I don't, I, I don't agree, but I don't mm -hmm. want to force my idea on anyone. And the conservative that says, everyone has to do what I say. Do you know yeah. what I mean here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this is the main difference between the right and the left in this context. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, but also I'm thinking about the argument that you said before about lack of communication. I think somehow it's um, linked to to the new technologies because there are somehow oh, yeah. um, there are somehow like exclu excluding us from being sociable and talking with other people in real life. And I, I think about Twitter. And how like people get easily mad that they can they don't know how to argument or debate someone, and all the ensemble of these things create this reality, which is like you said, um, the reality of lack of communication and lack of uh, debate, and of course a lack of interest in politics because it seems somehow that we have all the answers on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like. And of course, everything on the internet is not true and everything can be fake. But of course, there is certain things that are true. But yeah, I'm thinking about this thing, how it can be, can be, this is, this can be like the, the, the reason of why today is like this. 
partial. You are absolutely right. I don't think this problem of not communication is recent, but I think mm -hmm. that social media surely worsened the problem. This reminds me of, there's a, I don't remember who this person is, but this person described um, communication through social media as lacking the aura, aura. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know about this? I think it's semi-famous, this thing. He basically said that the aura of something, something that happens, an object, an act, is something okay. that you can experience only with physical presence. Mm -hmm. For example, if you are witnessing a sunrise or a sunset with your own eyes, you are feeling the aura of it. But yeah. if you take a photo and you, and you see it, and you see the photo, you are not perceiving the aura. So, you so are basically, not, exactly, yes, so basically, you're not living it. And exactly. I think, I think social media is getting ourselves separated from this aura of things. And mm -hmm. the aura of dialogue is fundamental when it comes to comprehension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I'm thinking, like you said, social media is... is um, changing things about communication but when it comes to the other centuries i'm thinking that the problem maybe was the different um different uh, social classes like i don't know rich poor and stuff like this maybe the poor people uh, were not able to engage in certain debates or maybe get even interested in politics because they were more um maybe they were interested in politics but just to their own, I don't know, their own interest when it comes, I don't know, to being part of movements like the, I don't know, the syndicalist movement and stuff like this. And maybe when it comes mm -hmm. to debate, the rich people were, or maybe the people that were doing good in their life with no struggles were more engaged in these things. Because I'm thinking, for example, Foucault, uh, not, sorry, Foucault, what I'm saying, Foucault, okay. which was a um, sociologist and philosopher, he uh, came from a rich, rich family, uh, but he was always interested in changing society and bringing new things in society. And I think he had this, the chance to do these things by uh, debating and going out and meeting people and all of this thanks to his background. So mm -hmm. I think maybe this is the case of the older centuries, whether today, when today, sorry, it's more linked to um, social media. Yes, there's, uh, this is actually like, make me think about a lot of things. So mm -hmm. um, the first thing is that I think um, politics is not done in all, at least not only in institutions. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, there are quite a lot of examples in history of people simply gathering together and discussing stuff and deciding together. That, mm -hmm. to me, already is politics. It's like the base level, the core of the political yeah. discussion, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't remember what was the other thing. What did you say? <laughs> 
<laughs> I said that like uh, when it comes to um to social classes like being rich, poor, and how it can be can influence your interest in uh, being a part of a group of a movement or changing things in society oh, doing politics. Okay, mm-hmm. I think it has somehow. I don't think it matters to the per se mm-hmm. as an abstract process. But I think that in reality, having the means, like being rich, being knowledgeable, etc., overpowers your political stance, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get through more easily. Yeah. But I don't think it's, uh, it's in like it's a forced like transaction. I don't think mm-hmm. being rich makes you a political animal more than being poor. Humanity, like being human, makes you a political animal. And whether you're rich or poor, mm-hmm. you can participate. Of course, the decision you make, uh, the decisions you make are different because we mm-hmm. know that poor people tend to lack good judgment. Yeah. Because of their social status, because of their continued worrying about their safety and all of that. Of course, their like thought process is different, but yeah. that doesn't like you, you. You can still participate in the political process, and everyone should participate in the political process. I think this is where we are failing as a society. Yeah, and I'm thinking also about how nowadays the power of voting is increasing. You know, the fact that you can vote and technically change something society is not attracting younger generation anymore because like you said before there is not a vision of what the future can be it seems like we lost faith in what the future can bring us exactly exactly yeah you've lost faith in in the voting mean like as a tool we have lost faith in the tool but for mm-hmm. example, Fridays for Future project, I don't know if you know that. Mm-hmm. Fridays for Future, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, those kind of protests are gathering massive amounts of young people. Right? Mm-hmm. Like this show, show to me that young people are losing faith in the tool of voting but I'm not, but they are not losing faith in politics because protesting is politics. politics. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the question that we, we I said to start this podcast, which was, um, can politics bring happiness? What do you think? Give an answer. <laughs> so... I have been studying Anna Arendt recently and my mind has been really like overpowered by her thoughts about this. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, politics can absolutely bring happiness. It's not a personal type of happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's that thrill that you feel when you are in a group of people protesting together, for example. Have you ever been to a protest? Not yet. 
or for example gay pride or something like that yeah mm -hmm. or for example even carnival yeah you know where where there's a, a a big number of people doing something together mm -hmm. that is an instant instance of happiness yeah and doing things together in public exposing yourself you know in such a way is a political act mm -hmm. and so if you do it right if you do it with the right people it can bring happiness of course it can and it should mm, it, should, I see. it should be more because i have never talked to someone who has been to like some kind of protest uh, some kind of group activity that has said to me i am not happy or i was i i'm glad i was not there right yeah but it brings yeah no you, you go on you go on yeah i want just to say that it brings like like you said instant happiness or maybe satisfaction yes it's a satisfaction the um, there was someone who called it like the um, the thrill of democracy or something like that like it's a kind mm -hmm. of brivido it's a uh, it's a wave of pleasure that you feel just mm -hmm. being with others and doing something with others and having the feel of creating something new with others right i see like me personally i think when it comes to happiness in the long term in your life due to politics i'm not really sure about it because i'm thinking about max weber Mm -hmm. uh, who talks about um, the state and the government and how the whole idea, of course I'm explaining this really in a generic way because I'm not that experienced in the topic but I remember a few things that I studied at university and he explains that the government is, the roots of governments are violence and yes. like dominance so how can something that you know government and then the product of government politics can bring happiness to the long term because i'm thinking about historical events and how the the fighting and all of those things through the long uh through long term in people's life have been somehow distressful or maybe even sad because they didn't saw an outcome or a result of uh, their fighting. Maybe the beginning of their um, protesting, like you said, can can brought them uh, instant happiness or instant satisfaction. But what about the long terms of these things? Can bring happiness somehow? You are absolutely right. This is the main issue. Like, mm. this is the like the big question with a capital Q of, I think, of uh, political philosophy. Like, mm. how do we manage to make a, a real democratic system that can mm -hmm. bring public happiness to people work of power that is ruthless? Exactly. 
this is the main question and uh, i don't uh, honestly i don't have an answer because all yeah. the answers that i could give are utopia exactly i'm thinking about utopia a, a huge utopia because when you before starting this podcast you, you told me the topic i was thinking about it and all i had in my mind was an utopic word because this is the idea that we all want somehow but it still still it's still an utopia yes absolutely because it, it's unconcealable right it's it's mm -hmm. too different there are two two different ways because we have to understand that there are bad things in the world and that people mm -hmm. are greedy and people will stab other people in the back mm -hmm. and i honestly don't know the answer i like the first thing that comes to mind is that we somehow have to get rid of the physical necessities mm -hmm. like we have to take away any reason for being quote-unquote evil or somehow desiring to hurt someone else mm -hmm. uh, says that the greed for glory is natural in the human being yes it's totally natural i don't know if you know norbert ilias i have no idea who that is he's a modern sociologist he talks about how through history to uh, like the whole human species um decided of course gradually to stop being savage and a primer uh primal uh being to then mm -hmm. become civil and by uh, the way that the whole species, human species decided to do that was to repress feelings like sexual impulses, uh, murder and all those things. So yeah, just the things that you were saying about. Um, so what was the thing that it's, it is possible in an evolutionary sense that mm -hmm. someday we may get rid of this sense of violence and greed and being better than others. Mm, yes, I think, because we are um, a species that needs to be uh, part of a group. And in order to do so, we have to get rid of these things. Because if you want to... Yeah? Yeah. No, go on, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, like if we want to be part of a modern society and get being part of a modern society and being accepted, uh, we have to act and of, not act, but behave in a certain way to be accept, accepted by the others. But if we continue to accept those kind of uh, impulses and stuff like this, or maybe just don't get rid of them, of course we get ex excluded and uh, the ways to get excluded is prison and stuff like this so of course we will be seen as the crazy one or the the psychologist i don't know sociopath one and stuff like this so i think through the years people maybe will get rid of these instincts evol evolutionarily speaking because it's already starting in my opinion 
the, the this also brings another question to mind actually mm-hmm. we put aside our murder instincts for the sake of survival right yeah. mm-hmm. because we understood that as a group we had very chance of surviving okay yeah. mm-hmm. but if we live in a society that can sustain all of us without any fighting there will still be a necessity mm-hmm. for being in a group um that is actually something that i have to think about uh because the, we could say mm-hmm. like okay we have this society thing we might as well uh-huh. keep it Mm-hmm. like we already have it it doesn't make sense to get rid of it but if we take away the basic needs for being in a group what, mm. what, what remains do we still hang out even if we don't want to it, or, or have we become dependent on it I think we are dependent on it and I'm thinking about our days how again returning to the thing uh, to the argument of uh, social media and stuff like this we are constantly searching being a part of a group and being uh, so uh, sociable with other people and with with uh, social media it's getting harder and difficult it makes us depressed so i think we are dependent on this and we need that it's part of our our blood our dna i think Well, that also confirms even more than we that we can find happiness in politics. Yeah, like yeah, actually I I like the thing that I said before, the question that I told you and the explanation of Max Weber, it's not that I don't agree with the thing that politics bring us happiness. I think it does, no. but but I'm not sure if it does do the long term. Yes, yes, that that, that is the question now. Because, mm-hmm. okay, we have assured that they depend, like, we need others to feel happiness. And mm-hmm. being with others is a political act. So, indeed, yeah. politics can bring happiness. Now, the question is, can it keep giving happiness? Uh, I am not really sure about it. I think I it can do it. If the mm-hmm. system keeps changing. Exactly, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. okay, once you get together with others and you do something, okay, and the something, and this thing settles, okay, and you leave it there and it works, mm-hmm. but then you have nothing else to do. And so you, you, you basically create the problems, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> use another change or another desire for change that in in terms forces you to get together with others and do actions and feel happy again mm. I don't think like stability can bring happiness yeah because we get probably bored fast yes, yeah. we yes, get a hell of bored yeah Mm-hmm. We're, on, But yeah. we're on fire tonight bitch yeah actually yeah you know I had a good rest I slept well and 
I had overall a good week. So, of course, you know, all the ideas. And, you know, I've been, like, working in some projects uh, for university and doing presentation, like, heavy ones about different type of sociologists and stuff like this. So I have some ideas in my mind. This is why I was really hyped about this episode tonight. Yeah, see, this this is public happiness. This is political happiness. Yeah. We and being, are discussing things. Mm-hmm. And being part of and something. Absolutely. We are doing mm-hmm. something together just for the sake of having a conversation. Because and we are social creatures. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are doing something political now. We are discussing. And I'm feeling happy. Me too. <laughs> So we have like an instant happiness. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> when I feel like it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like about other countries, like oh wait, I have to ask a question first. Yeah, go what on. about your photo shoot? Bit? Oh, okay. So, you know, I am kind of sick. And also I have this weird thing on my lip. It's like, I don't know, it's red. So imagine doing a photo shoot with a lip like that. You have a rash? Yeah, it's something like that. So it's fading and the photo shoot is tomorrow, but I... Tomorrow? Yeah, and I said to the photographer, no, thank you. Can we do it next week? So next week I'm going to be ready to do some bomb photo please for the love of god do this photo shoot i need it yes you're gonna be the first one that's gonna see the pictures of course because i need your opinion i mean i think i sent you different type of pictures of me whether i was naked or not just to have like you absolutely did you absolutely did (laughs) yeah they are plastered in my memory yeah and like what about the things that you've done in Rome Roma oh yeah so it was a political school Mm -hmm. and we had the occasion of talking with some deputies and senators uh, for example the two referendums there have been Mm -hmm. rejected I'm not mm-hmm. salty. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, you know, it's been a quiet, uh, it's been a while that I didn't um, follow the political situation in Italy. So what the fuck is happening? Especially with the referendums. So, so uh, for, for those who don't know, in Italy, if you want to propose a referendum, you have to gather at least five hundred thousand signatures, mm-hmm. certified signatures, of course, uh, and then when you have these uh, signatures, you can bring them to the highest court in uh, in Italy, some kind of supreme court, which is called the Corte di Cassazione. And mm-hmm. then Corte di Cassazione approves the signatures, let's say, and mm-hmm. then it sends the question, let's say, of the referendum to the Constitutional Court, 
to see if it's feasible, if it's against the constitution, if you can do it, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there are three main uh, reasons a referendum can be uh, rejected. You cannot hold a referendum on uh, money. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how to call it, bilancio dello Stato. Uh, you cannot have it about uh, jail time or grace from jail, and it cannot be used for uh, the ratification of international treaties. Okay. So the the two main referendums of this like turn of this year were the legal legalization of cannabis and the legalization of euthanasia. And they did not pass. Yes, they gathered a massive amount of support. They found the 500,000 uh, signatures in like a week or something like that because mm -hmm. the cannabis referendum was the first one uh, who could be signed digitally. Ah, I didn't know that. Yes, through the um, digital identity mm -hmm. for the like the public administration or something like that. It's called Speed in Italy. Oh my God! So I had the chance to do so, but I didn't know. <gasps> yes, you could give a certified signature through the mm -hmm. web, which is groundbreaking. groundbreaking. Yeah, it's for Italy. Amazing, amazing. So all the signatures were gathered, were certified. And then the Constitutional Court said, no, ma'am. Oh, I'm so disappointed. They said, no, ma'am. Which, of course, doesn't make sense. <laughs> because yeah. you should not be able to reject this mm. kind of referendums, right? And a, a deputy came uh, in Rome with us and talked about how this happened, let's say. Mm -hmm. It's because the court is actually going out of its jurisdictions and is doing provisions about the consequences of the law after the referendum, if the referendum is approved, which is wrong because it should not be doing that. It's no. not its role. But it happened anyway. So for this year, no referendum. And that oh, was very sad. very sad. But there's a good news in that. Mm -hmm. the um, the euthanasia law um, passed the first exam at the Chamber of Deputies. Oh, that's good. So that's a first step. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the first step of a very long like travel path, but still, mm -hmm. it's, it's a good first step. And for cannabis, we don't have anything for now. Sadly. Oh my god, which is so disappointing because so Italy needs, needs so that. Everyone uses it anyway. Yeah, and like anyway, just make it legal. Fuck. And especially with all the mafia problem in Italy, it can be yeah, can yes, be a good solution. Of course, it's a huge problem. But I mm. I honestly don't know. I'm not like I don't know enough stuff about this to to be able to answer. Mm -hmm. So Rome was quite nice. We had uh, this big like chance of discussing political matters with 
uh, MPs. Mm-hmm. And and then we co- we we woke up the second day, which was the twenty fourth, I think, mm-hmm. and that was the day of the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. So we woke up with the news of like tanks entering Ukraine, and it was a bit of a shock. And mm-hmm. the hotel we stayed at was like. 50 meters away from the Russian embassy. Oh. So it was very close, very close. Uh, and so we decided uh, that afternoon, since it w- there was a, an organized protest, we decided mm-hmm. to go and participate. It was very moving. There were a lot of Ukrainian people there and mm. they started singing their national anthem. That oh. moment, we were like, basically all in tears it was it was such a strong moment you know yeah it was... I, I remember sewing a video like two days ago of uh this group of ukrainians trying to escape um, how it's called the city that it's attacking kiev kiev i think yeah mm-hmm. um and they were trying to run as best they could and then suddenly a bomb dropped and exploded and it was so heartbreaking like really really sad yeah the and we have to remember the like the the aura thing mm-hmm. like imagine we are feeling this through yeah. images and mm. it's so like impactful even through images imagine being there and yeah. leaving that stuff. I could never, I could never think about something like that. It's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. And also, I'm gonna say something controversial. Like, it's not controversial, it's the fucking truth. <laughs> so it's funny how this war, it's called the third world war. But well, when not yet. Yeah, but like people are starting start calling calling it like this, you know, just not officially, but you know, like everyone. Yeah, everyone is involved. But what about all the wars that have been going through for years, but no one ever gave a fuck, you know, like the whole thing in Syria, like that that could have been a war itself, like an official war itself, and of course all the wars with Yemen and, you know, the Middle East in general. And of yes. course, Africa. So it's funny when it comes just to white people, it's something yeah. huge and everyone should, like, of course, everyone should be sad because it's it's sad, but everyone is so affected, you know? But when it comes to the others that are in the other side of the world... Yeah, you know, I really don't... I really don't understand this. There is... Yeah. I think it it is a matter of geopolitics. Absolutely, it's a huge matter of geopolitics. Because those wars are considered far away. Yeah. Because it's out of the direct influence sphere mm-hmm. of Europe. Yeah. Like it's something far away in a in, in a sense. It's not really far away because I mean, Syria mm-hmm. is on the Mediterranean. We all share this sea. But the I think the difference here 
is that, um, well, first of all, it's very close. Yeah. It's very close to home. It's very close to home. It's basically on the other side of the border, which is scary. And this is why, yeah, and this is why people are concerned about it and so, um, so not intrigued, but like so, um, they want to have always news, you know, about it because they are afraid that could concern them, not primarily, but secondarily, because it's, from one day to another, it can be us, you know? Okay, let's, let's specify one thing. Like, mm -hmm. This is not an excuse for not being worried for the wars in Syria, though. Exactly, yeah. This still doesn't excuse us for this double measure that we're using. Mm -hmm. But I think that the difference here is not, not really geopolitical. I mean, it's rooted in geopolitics. But I think it's a matter of ideas. Like, we were done with the idea of war in Europe. Yeah. Somehow. Because mm -hmm. we had a war, like... 30 years ago in the Balkans. Mm -hmm. But it was like, there was no, no, there was a major military involvement, but mm -hmm. there was no like big, big, big opposition. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was, it was a moment where the Soviet Union and the Russian Federation, of course, it was very weak. So it didn't have a lot of prowess on on the scene. And so it was really one-sided. It was very one-sided. I mean, it was Serbia against the rest of the world, basically. Mm -hmm. And also the Western countries were divided between themselves. For example, France and Germany were on two different sides of the war, for example, mm. because Germany was like, yeah, split up. And Germany was like, and France were, was like, no, we want a united Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. and so it, was, it was messy. And so it was confused. And, and there was not like a real, like a, a really big player, let's say. Yeah. Like, there were big players, but there were not big sides. In this mm. case, in this case, it's different because we have two very big sides. They are focused on one single issue. And it's very, very clear where the line stands. For example, uh, the only fact that Europe decided all together for the sanctions and not one country decided not to do it. This tells you a lot because yeah. if there's something you, un you understand when you study the history of Europe integration is that there is always someone who is not okay with something that is going on. Mm. Usually being friends. Like <laughs> yeah, I totally see that. There's always someone questioning. This is something totally different. In two days, 
everyone, everyone on this side was, okay, let's, let's get this running. Let's get these sanctions right now and let's hit hard and together. This is mm -hmm. new. This yeah. is new. And also what is very new is a direct attack from the Russian Federation to a Western power. Not a Western power, but to the Western idea. Yeah. This mm -hmm. is, these are the things that to me are new or I can see as new. Yeah, I see that. And also I remember that I saw a couple of days ago, a video um, about um, the news in the States and they were, basically there was this journalist talking about how it's so heartbreaking that people with blue eyes and like blonde hair are under attack. So this is also new for them because usually for the past like decade or like uh, in general for the past two decades, we had people of color, people that aren't, were not white being under attack. Absolutely. And we didn't give a fuck. But this is also new, adding the thing that you said before about new things. So the fact of being Western, being under attack, and the potential uh, potential fear of having a new world war. Uh, so yeah, I can totally see. So it's basically a, a, an, an ensemble of, um, sorry, um, I'm, I'm confusing French with English. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> my life. A mix of like this new, new, um, like how we, we can consider them, we used to consider them like uh, countries of, of power, like the Westerns ones being under mm -hmm. attack. So it's new and it makes us afraid we are living in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I for example, this is something that is worrying me, let's say. Mm -hmm. My mom started stockpiling things to eat. Mm -hmm. Like they, oh my God. She, she has been giving like she has been buying doubles. And she's putting away so much food. And I was like, Mom, what are you doing? And she didn't answer me. Mm. She was just like well, this is it now. And that, it really what makes, what made me think, okay, shit is about to hit the fans. Hit the fan. Yeah. Like, it's these little changes in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. They make you, that, that actually make you think, okay, this is, this is something that is happening really mm -hmm. and is affecting me somehow mm -hmm. and also maybe this is the time that politics needs to bring us happiness and find a fucking solution <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah uh, this is a very big issue though mm -hmm. this is what we were talking about before like how can we bring happiness and and politics into managing an army, into managing yeah. war. War is not political. Like Arendt, Anna Arendt says, where there's violence, there there are no there, there is no politics. 
like violence is mute because politics is debate violence yeah. is it's mute it cannot talk fear. it doesn't talk it uses mm. other means to get a message through and what and this is actually very sad yeah <laughs> because there i think there are somehow two spheres of two spheres that are too far apart too different it's like trying to mix water and oil they just don't absolutely. go together i don't think mm. i don't think absolutely not yeah absolutely so we are almost one hour in. Yeah, we are running out of time. Time flies when you have fun, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially with you, baby. <laughs> when you talk about war, time flies. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> the fuck? But yeah, we had a good, good episode. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me it was too. Nice. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. Me too. We should speak more about politics because we are two bitches that love this shit. Oh, baby, you have no idea. <laughs> On one day, I'm going to do an, ep- an episode of colonialism and ex-colonialism and post-colonialism. I'm going to bring this shit out of it. <laughs> oh, baby, I am ready. And I'm ready to talk about how France, how France is, is losing all the precious minerals and resources of Africa to be this huge, powerful country Baby, because of, oh I my God. Wait, I cannot wait for you to turn the partinta. Yes. And you're that's gonna, all you're period. And I'm going to yeah. shut up for an hour and I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, I was having this conversation with um, a friend like this week and we talked about how france is basically just exploding and surviving and abusing the power and um and the resources of uh, the ex-colonies and he asked me about if about how italy and if italy have ever colonized something and i said no they tried but they fucking failed <laughs> no we did and we succeeded yeah but it's not like somehow, but it's not like a huge conquest, you know. No, of course, it's not like the the French Imperium. Yeah, big. no, no, or no, the English like one. But the we English still one. have a, a colonizing history, and it's not a cute one. No, I mean, <laughs> it's not finally a colonizing no. history which is cute. Uh, there is no cute one. There ain't any. <laughs> Yeah, honey, let's be clear. There ain't yeah. any, <laughs> but yeah, this is the topic for another time. For another time. So, thank you so much, guys, for listening to us. Thank you to that one person that <laughs> that left it till the last second to listen to our conversation. We really appreciate you. <laughs> True, you are a hero. You, you are a hero. Please contact us and tell us that you heard this this episode the whole episode till one hour and one minute and one two three okay but you get it like thank you so much for listening to us and to the next episode have a nice day bye bye everyone see you next time